Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to entangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey guys, welcome back to the Heart of Dating Podcast. It's your host, Kate. And JJ. And we are actually doing a solo episode this season that we did not plan to do, but we'll explain why this came up and why we're doing this in a second. Um, This season has been so incredible, hasn't it, babe? Yeah, it has. And this is our first solo one in a little while. Yeah. Are we going to be okay? Yeah. I think so, too. I think we are. First, before we get into it, last week's episode with Judah and Chelsea was so good, right, honey? It, I'm not going to lie. I told somebody it might have been my favorite Heart of Dating episode, like, ever. Really? Yeah. Wow. I love that. Because, you know, when's the You'll last probably time? find yourself saying that again and again, though. That was me, but it was really good. I know. Well, when's the last time you heard, you know, such uh, tremendous leaders lead with such humility. That's true. You know, and apologizing and talking in such a kind way. Right. So effectively pointing to Jesus, mm. long suffering grace. Yeah, I mean, you're right, babe. It was truly phenomenal. They were so humble. And I think that conversation from a lot of people who were really hurt by purity culture, that conversation from leaders who affect hundreds of thousands of Christians, hearing them be humble, apologize, say what they have to say today was so beautiful and healing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, it takes a lot for a leader to like really look back and, and come and say, Hey, this was a message that I actually helped perpetuate. And I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. I, you know what I really love? Yeah. I just, I love broken leaders. Yeah. I love leaders who lead in their brokenness and can look backwards and saying, Hey, you know, we got something wrong. How do we view this today? How do we talk right. about this today? What did we learn? So right. it was so good. And I'm sure, you know, you and I can already look back six months ago, a year ago and look at episodes that we've done and be like, wow. Our heart was good, but that was a total miss. Like, so that's why I don't always go back and listen to all my old episodes. I'm like, oh gosh. But no, I'm super happy to be corrected, connected, corrected. Um, So thank you to Judah and Chelsea Smith. Hey guys, one quick announcement: Uh, we are in the middle right now of teaching our school of dating class who joined us March 2023. This. They are amazing. Mm -hmm. We love our new students. Uh, We're still in phase one out of our three phases of teaching. But we want to let you know that this sold out in just a few days last time. It was like 80 or 90% sold out from just our wait list before we even announced it to the public. And we only announced it to the public for one day yeah, and then had to close we it. We had like two slots open. <laughs> it was like, we have two more seats. So, Who wants to take them? Yeah. So I say that to say this program is like the thing that we are focusing on the most this year and moving forward because we have just seen so much transformation happen in this intensive mentorship program. We will really walk you through hand in hand with your fellow peers to really transform your dating life. Like really from your heart to your soul, to how you think about yourself, how you think about others, how you show up, you'll get so much awareness, so much more tools. You will actually practice dating. Like it's so, I just get so excited because I love it. I know you're amped up. I'm like, let's go. So, Hey, if it is like an investment type of program, we have not seen a single student yet that regrets that investment. Um, and, and we just are saying right now, if you 
if this is stirring something in you, you've heard us talk about it before, get on the wait list because it does sell out and uh, it's really easy to get on the wait list. You just text wait list to the number 214-225-7772. So it's wait list to 214-225-7772. And our next class is going to start this July. Let's go. Can't wait. All right, babe. So do you want to talk about our vision for the episode today? Yeah. And just to be transparent, you know, Kate and I really, really were entrenched and really blunt, straightforward, hard conversation about this episode today. Mm -hmm. You know, we really, really went back and forth to get back on the same page. Yes. And ultimately, what we came down to is this. The objective today is you know, first of all, that men and women have a crystal clear picture of what marital consent is, why it exists, why it's important. And ultimately, like, even if you fall onto like, Hey, I'm fully aligned with that. That sounds great to me. It was a great message. The point of this episode is that might be you, but if you're going to get married in the next six months, a year, send it to your future spouse more importantly, I listen, I wish I would have had this episode a year ago because I can think of multiple people that I know who have gotten married. And quite frankly, I have heard, you know, accounts and stories of wedding night experiences, honeymoon experiences, newlywed sex that I just. I have no choice but to classify as marital rape. Mm-hmm. And, and that's strong wording, but it's it's the reality. Well, it's and we're gonna get into it. Mm-hmm. And there's just like when you look at the circumstances and how it went down, and you're gonna hear some stories today that when we say those words, it's really because we have no choice. Yeah. There's no other language. And if this happened outside of marriage, it would absolutely not be okay. Right. So the whole point of today is that like we just have astounding clarity on what marital consent is. Yes. And even if it's not for you, I hope you can send it to a friend and be like, hey, just make sure like, I don't think this is you, but you just, I just think it's really, really wise for you guys to get crystal clear on the same page here. Here's what you're saying before this episode. There are, it's very clear. There are people that live in an unhealthy version of what we're about to share today. And that's like an extreme version. And that does exist as in it does for many things, right? There is that unfortunate, very hard extreme. Um, And then there are also people that live on the opposite side where this is like not even like the idea of potentially not having consent in every sexual experience in marriage is not even a possibility. They're like, yeah, we're going to have consent. Like, of course, that's not even a question. I want it to be mutual every single time, a thousand percent. But what we're really addressing today is not necessarily for the extreme people, though it will address that. It's it's really for the in-between, which I feel like there there's just not a lot of discussion that happens around this. I can I can say this. I bet every person listening right now would say marital rape is not okay. Right. Like, I don't think there's a single person that I know who would genuinely say, yeah, that's okay. Right. Um, However, I feel like the people that would still say that's not okay, there may be some cases where there are thoughts, where there are belief systems, where there have been teachings that actually perpetuate the idea of marital rape. And it's subtle, but it's been in messaging they've received or what they've seen modeled, or it's what they expect or what they believe in subtle ways. And that's what we want to tackle today. And that's for both genders. Okay. And, and that's why it's so important because nobody's going to just sit here and say, yeah, that's totally good. Um, (laughs) Wow. Okay. That, whoa, who are you? You know, no, it's, it's, you would say that's bad. However, maybe some of your beliefs or expectations actually are in line with perpetuating this idea. of Yeah. They kind of covertly operate right with entitlement 
And we're going to talk about this loaded yeah. word. You know, we talked about it last week when I covered 1 Corinthians 7. The, the word obligated, right, has been absolutely just totally misrepresented, totally misused. I would say the big word for me is exploited. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about why, how. We're going to suggest maybe an alternative word that really unifies, you know, I would say responsibility. Yeah. Um, so we're really going to try to work through this idea of marital consent for the ultimate goal of what? Of healthy sexual intimacy in marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, that's our goal. We are not for sexless marriages. Definitely not. Yeah. Hey, if you guys missed JJ's mini sode, especially if you're a guy listening, go back and listen to that because it really also is a good precursor to this episode. So here's why we started this conversation. We're having it today and we decided to add this episode in. Uh, last week on Instagram, I did a post with that said, okay, hot button topic. Are Christian wives obligated to have sex with their husbands? That was the title of the, that was the cover. Um, and then it was like a book post, like with multiple swipe throughs. And I mean, I did not really expect how much controversy there was going to be in the comments and like how vocal people would be about certain elements. I was like, oh my goodness. And here's probably the, the part of the post that people got most hung up on. I'm going to read what I wrote. Sexual intimacy in marriage has become an area where many women feel like they can't say no. Why? Because it's their quote unquote duty to connect and serve their more quote unquote sexually driven husbands as a selfless wife. So not only are they obligated to say yes, but any refusal to participate results in a disappointment or punishment simply by ignoring her, mistreating her or disrespecting her. And then I said to take it a step further, if women are participating in a sexual act that they don't want to do, but do it out of duty, I personally have to classify this as a form of sexual assault. Sounds extreme, but it's true. Why? Because anything other than voluntary consensual sex is a form of sexual assault. Even in the context of marriage, how is it okay to force manipulate, expect, or guilt trip a person into a sexual experience? And I think the biggest place where people got hung up is because I brought in the word sexual assault. Right. And and, and, and listen, initially, too, when I, I was proofing this post and Kate was running it by me, I was like, whoa, like that is an explicit, very, very serious allegation. Mm -hmm. But you have to come back to that second statement. Why? Because anything other then voluntary consensual sex is a form of sexual assault. Yes. Right? Now, I want to clarify, and we will clarify more. Like, I'm not saying that every husband is like forcing her right. and, and keeping her down and forcing her to do sex. There is a reality that exists where she may say, okay, sure, but she really does not want to do it at all. She's probably voice. No, I don't really want to. And he's like, let's do it. Let's do it anyway. And she's like, okay. And there's no part of her that enjoys it. And she's literally sitting there waiting for him to finish. And she is like, I did not enjoy this at all. That is what I am talking about. Yeah. It's like that experience with like a lifeless person. It's not a person on the receiving end. And we'll, we'll talk about nuances of this in a second. Uh -huh. I know that's where people start getting heated and, um, sure. and we're going to break it down, but I want to, I want to, we have so much to say, so I'm going to keep moving through. Um, here were some of the responses and there were some great responses on the post. Okay. But I do want to highlight just a few that were more concerning to both me and JJ and that led us to wanting to do this episode. Okay. So here's one. I just wrote this one out in full and I'm going to read it. Okay. If a man is, ex this is a comment. If a man is expected to sign a contract stating that his wife will be the only source for the satisfaction of his sexual needs and desires, and yes, they are normal, earthly God-given needs, which should not be diminished, lest he lose half of everything he owns, then there is a certain responsibility of the wife to fulfill the covenant to which she holds her husband. To say that the only thing owed in marriage to one another is love is to completely diminish and neglect the fact that a man is a human being with needs, which he has placed in the hands of his wife. 
To neglect those needs and that responsibility is equally abusive. Neither extreme is healthy, but the conversation cannot be had in a one-sided vacuum. (sighs) That one's really hard for me. Really, really hard. There's a a lot in there, which we will break down in this episode. I feel like we can't even just like break it all down. I know. I know. (laughs) I just, I want to jump in and um, we'll, we'll keep going, but there's just so many key words in there. Yeah, highlight a few of them that like, you think are just problematic. Fun, there's just fundamental, and and really, what I love about this episode is, and what I told Kate beforehand, I love boiling arguments down to the crux. Where can we say we fundamentally disagree? And right here, there's a few of them, but I would just say number one is he starts it off right. It is the satisfaction of his sexual needs, and then he throws in desires. But the difference between a need. A need to eat, a, a need, need to, to sleep, have water, a need to drink water, and a desire, you a will... desire to have ice cream, right? A desire to watch Netflix, right? There is such a fundamental, massive difference between the word need and desire. Need is you will not survive. You will die if you do not have this thing. Yeah, fundamental need. And a desire, right. right? A need has, to an extent, control over you. It can kind of almost dictate you. You Let's be clear. You will not die if you don't have sex for the rest of your life. Right. You'll just have a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> but you two. will not die. You will. Like, that's, that is problematic in that language. Yeah. So desire, right? Sexual or you can desire. say sex drive. Like, sex drive. I have right. a sex drive, and that's healthy. But your sex need is, is, is just... Oh, that wording is is really, we Massive. do need to talk about that. That's problematic. Right. And so, and then he gets into this responsibility of wife uh, to fulfill, right? She is indebted. It's kind of twisting that First Corinthians 7, right. the indebted obligation, right, that we kind of talked about before uh, is exploited. And so we totally agree, you know, the word responsibility, that's what we'll jump into. But yeah, this is a great, great, great example where it sounds spiritual, it sounds theologically somewhat correct, but it really comes down to like there's a couple cruxes that, here that, that are these subtle the entire, things. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This guy is not necessarily. I don't think this guy would say, yeah, marital rape is correct, but actually, what he's saying here perpetuates that concept. Yes, and so that's why we're highlighting this episode today. It's a great example. Yeah, great example. another comment basically uh, said um, that. The like that rejecting your spouse of sexual intimacy is a sin. Okay, so there's that comment. <laughs> okay, and then the, there's a female actually who said, "I think wives should serve their husbands, and Christian spouses are obligated to be sexually intimate with one another and to seek healing in this area. If there is fear or medical concerns in this area, they should only abstain." If there's prayer and fasting again, first Corinthians seven again. Yeah. And, and theologically not far off the language she's using and right. what she's pointing out is very, very close. However, they should only abstain if they're praying and fasting. I'm like, well, like let's add some context here. What if you have an abusive husband who is hitting you verbally assaulting you and he right. wants to have sex and he says, I refuse to abstain from sex. Right. Exactly. There's, well, and that's where we have to still get into like going back to your episode on first Corinthians seven, but also right. what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Because again, there's like some, they're close, but no, you're no cigar close, but no cigar. Right. Uh, oh, this one. Oof. <laughs> it's important to be equally yoked with someone with the same libido. If, if not, it's going to feel like being in a trap and resentment will rise when needs are not met. Again, that word needs. Marriage can be a blessing or a great trap, depending on your choice in partner. Okay. Equally yoked in the same libido. <laughs> I've is, never heard that before. It's actually, <laughs> I, I got to say, it's a little funny to me and I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make light of these people's comments, but I'm like, the reality, like your body's changed. Your libido changes through seasons, through time both male and female, like (laughs) even if you both have the same libido to begin with, I guarantee throughout your marriage, it will not always be the same. So that it's such a funny concept because I'm like, (laughs) it will never be the same for your whole life. (laughs) It'll never be the same at any point. You're not marrying yourself. Yes. It might line up 
you know, once or twice in a season. But and, and again, you know, just to take something like a spiritual concept of being equally yoked, you I know, was like, exclusively oh, you're spiritual, using that Christianese language, and then attaching but, yeah. like our own kind of theology uh, is just funny. Yeah. Okay. Here's another continued refusal is a common cause of both adultery and divorce. I actually don't doubt that. You know, I don't, I think that, but that's not okay. Right. As in, it's not okay to go from there to say now, well, you have to put out because if you refuse, right. Otherwise I'm going to be tempted and there's a whole, I don't think we even have time. Powerless. We will talk about it. Like this perpetuated idea that men's lust is uncontrollable yeah, exactly. and it creates a lot of fear in women that you must have sex with your husband or else he may look at other women or go to pornography. And yeah. again, that perpetuates this idea for women that I have to do this out of fear right. that my husband or will else. then cheat on me. Right. Or else there's I, consequences. There's a consequence. Right. So I do think that it can lead to adultery and divorce. However, that's when lust is on the throne. I'm like, oh God. Right? It's a sexual need. He has to have it. Or she has to have it. Like we've absolutely seen in her both. both. Yeah. I think uh, it can lead to it, but right. I'm like, this, it shouldn't. I mean, like, there's. <laughs> if you have to listen, if a marriage has to deal in ultimatums, like you have to do this or else. I'm so sorry, but that should be massive check engine lights. Yeah. There is something so deeply twisted going on. And then lastly, this one was funny because, listen, I think we all hear things growing up in our teenage years or young adult years that really stick out to us. They sound nice on paper. There was one comment talking about this idea that um, I heard a pastor talk about a 24 to 48 hour rule. If he initiates and she denies him, then the other spouse and vice versa has 24 to 48 hours to come back and reinitiate sex. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was, I was like literally flabbergasted. I was like, I, was like I, I listen, I get what they're trying to say. That is one of the worst rules I have ever, ever, ever heard because it is such a blanket, absolute assumption to say every conflict that we that we hit is gonna be solved within twenty four to forty eight hours, and you're gonna be happy and you're gonna be feeling good enough that you want to have sex again. It's just, it's <laughs> just like we should never. The every couple should talk about frequency and figure that out amid one another consensually mutually yeah. without the wife feeling she has to do this but to say there's a rule like if jj rejects me <laughs> at night or vice versa and if my rule was okay babe fine you're off the you're off for tonight but by tomorrow night, you have to have sex or, with me. Or yeah, within, I'm like, what? well, and I get it. Like, look, the objective there is to have a frequent, health, you know, sexual, uh, you know, it's happening in that bedroom. That objective is great on right, paper, but, but that uh, blanket rule, I just, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's way too absolute and totally ignores the space and the responsibility, right, to to navigate conflict like if i had this rule with, and listen or kate, create safety create, that it's yeah and i get it kate and i might have ongoing conflict um that takes weeks or months to kind of figure out and get on the same page really i yeah. don't feel like it's well okay there's it's ongoing, things where we yeah i see what you're saying challenges like ongoing challenges like we talk about it it's not like we don't talk about it but it's still like a work in process i yeah. see what you're saying and it's, yeah it's not fully fully resolved yeah you know and that's that's normal that's what happens when you take two different people and you say you have to live together yeah. <laughs> and then you have to work together right <laughs> so like what's super super clear here is that we are not all on the same page. We do not totally all understand what, you know, sexual assault might actually be classified as what, you know, marital consent. Once we share some of these analogies and stories with you and these anecdotes, like keep in mind, we're not talking about all of marital sex and we totally acknowledge the mutual responsibility, big word, of both husband and wife to steward wonderful and intimate sex lives. Today, we are talking about some of the worst cases we've heard, and we read that, and what we're going to speak to today is really, really hard to hear. And 
quite frankly, it should upset you. It should be yeah. it it should be so concerning that listen, I have no choice but to the but to respond here. Yeah. I have no choice to make sure that myself, my community of guys, my community of women are all on the same page here. Yes. I because of how badly it can get if this theology that is not crystal clear on the same page fully in context yeah. is not fully abided in. Yeah, agreed. So I'm going to just set the groundwork. If a woman or a man, okay, but if a woman, if is, someone is having sex with their spouse and that spouse does not at their core in that moment at all want to have sex with you, they may have said, sure, okay, fine. But at their core, they really do not want to have sex with you, but they feel, specifically this comes to women, but they feel they have to out of obligation and there is a fear in that obligation. I have to do this because of messaging I've heard, because I know he'll treat me differently because I fear that he'll look at pornography because, you know, uh, this is my marital duty and he won't meet or be present with me in other ways unless I do this. If she does it out of that obligation, that is marital rape. Yeah. And you want to explain some more things here, right? Well, the, the, again, we hit on it earlier and let's kind of draw it out a little bit more. The key word here is obligation, 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 obligation. Anytime you hear this word, your alert ear should pop up mm-hmm. and you should really sense and ask clarifying question because the word obligation infers this attitude, this dangerous attitude, which in the life of a Christian, we should really, really, really be careful with this word entitlement. Entitled. I am entitled. I have a hall pass to get this. Mm -hmm. There is no choice. That is the word entitlement with anything, anything. If we really want to talk about what we're entitled to because of who we are and the sinful beings we are, like, let's just not go there. Because if we want to talk about entitlement, that is a sermon upon sermon of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. But obligation quite literally means this. It's an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound. Yes. It is a duty and a commitment. Let's pull it out a little bit more. Whether you feel like it or not, you hate it. You loathe it. This act or action, you are bound to fulfill it. Right. That's why obligation is such a heavy, heavy, thick word. Yes. Yeah. And and I just, there, there we're going to get into some nuances. It's really going to be good here, but so good that you explained that. So when it's obligation, here's the, here's why it's marital rape. If it, if there is a perspective and a mindset of obligation, you can't really say yes. If you can't also have the freedom to say no. Right. If you do not have the freedom to genuinely say no, then you really don't have your yes doesn't mean a lot because you cannot freely say no. Right. It's it's not a choice. If you can't freely say no, you can't truly and freely say yes. That is where I think a lot of people are not understanding. If somebody truly does not feel like they can say no freely without consequences from their partner. Right. Then their yes is not really a true yes, like a free yes. Right. It is like, I have to say yes, because if I say no, there's consequences, right? Right. Like there's fundamentally no choice. Yes. We have to look at sex from a fully holistic view, not an entitlement view, that either spouse is entitled to sex from their partner. So I want to just talk about marital rape a little bit further and and talk about how we got here. So there's obviously two different kinds of coercion that happens. One- And this is really, this is like one of the crux arguments, okay? Yes. Really, really important aspect here. Because we're throwing out, we, we are using a heavy, heavy term like marital rape. So yeah. we really have to get into the nitty gritty, nuanced gray 
of the kind of coercion that happens and where we have to draw the line. Right. When I say marital rape, most people think of just number one here, which is the husband, for example, it could be the wife, but in this case, we often see it's the husband is exercising control over the woman. He doesn't care what she feels or needs at all. And he potentially is abusive and forces her. This is point blank rape. I mean, I don't know how you can call it anything else. And, um, you know, there are subtle teachings of this in many books out there, actually, even marriage books and, and, and Christian marriage sex books, unfortunately. Um, but that is point blank. Yes. Marital rape. I think. Yeah. I think like the way I say it is fundamentally one will is overpowering the other will. Mm-hmm. One yeah. will is overpowering the other will. Right. The other version, which is more subtle, but still exists, is there's a level of coercion into sexual intimacy where the husband is not necessarily aware that the wife feels obligated in such a way that is fearful. Or maybe there's other dynamics that are present. And the woman, and he is coercing her to do this because he really, really, really wants it. She may say no, or she may resist him and he is coercing her. And when she finally does it, there isn't actually a true, yes, I want to genuinely do this. And I have this mutual desire. And again, I think this is what I would say is instead of overpowering her will, one will overpowering, it's one will kind of breaking through coercion, breaking her will breaking, kind of forcing, coercing his will over hers. Right, right. And and I have seen cases where husbands actually, there are some husbands that actually don't know that their wives feel this obligated. Yeah. That there is a fear in these women that have existed because of books they've read, teachings they've heard, and they actually fear, oh, well, I have to do this, or he might look at porn or go to other women. And the husband has no idea that she's actually having sex with him because of those preconceived ideas. And there has been cases where husbands have found out eventually through time, like that's why the woman keeps having sex with him. And she's, he, the, the husband is like very distraught because he's like, Oh, I, I truly had no idea that you did not want to all the, so many of these times. Right. And she probably didn't feel like she had the voice the voice to even you know like she's disobedient to the lord and to scripture by even just saying yes no which you know that is like a really really refined spiritual abuse that might not even been you know planted by the husband that might have been planted well before he was there Mm. but that's why this episode is so important and so that when your friend goes into marriage or when you go into marriage, you can even say, hey, like I've even read and heard about some really wild theology here and seen a lot of members of Christ's body be on very different pages. So yeah. I just would love to know and clarify what exactly is it that you believe about your quote obligation or responsibility here? You know, do you feel like, you know, it's just for me? It's just for you. Like, there should be pleasure in it for you. Like, more importantly, do you feel like you have the ability to say no? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so how do we get to this place where we're, and why are we even having this conversation? There's a few reasons. And I will call out uh, Sheila Gregor. I have gotten some research from her, done some research from the research she's done. I've looked into research she's done and her research is really phenomenal. I will just say really honestly, um, there are some things in which she uh, approach and how she approaches the way she talks about certain authors that I am not a fan of. And I just want to be honest about that because I think her research is really sound and phenomenal. Mm. She's researched and studied over 20,000 Christian women. It's phenomenal research. Um, However, I don't love all of her methods and how she calls out um, people. And I just, I'm not a super fan of that. So I want to say that because I may reference some things that I've read from her. But yeah, if you want to go check her out, you can. I just need to be really clear. I don't always love how she comes after authors and speakers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so, but she does have phenomenal work. So I'm a little torn by all this. I agree. Um, So the first, how did we get here? First of all, 
there's a, well, there, if there is a belief that you need mutual consent to say no, but not mutual consent to say yes. (laughs) This is fascinating. And I did see this in some of Sheila's work. So I totally need to credit her. It's fascinating. There were stories I was reading where men, husbands are unhappy if they cannot have sex with their wives postpartum after they've had a baby uh, while she's healing about that six weeks um, after she's had a baby where they're like very unhappy. They can't have sex with their husband because she's their, her, their wives, cause she's healing or, you know, the one week of your month where the woman has her period. They, there are husbands that genuinely believe, well, this is not a time that I consented to. Yeah. I did not agree to not having sex during this time. And again, where did they get that from? This idea. Where? That first Corinthians seven, right. three through five. Right. That we should only not be having sex unless it's prayer and fasting. And we agreed to it. And we both agree to it. And I don't agree to not having sex in this time. Yeah. So like it's, it or not. Yeah. And, and so here's why this is so problematic. And Sheila's research shows this. When sex is talked about as something that God commands women to give to their husbands, like so many people refer to when they talk about 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, they're like, this is the wife's duty to give to her husband. In many ways, what the wife truly wants or desires doesn't really matter. If that is the theology, then the wife's desire or her consent doesn't really matter because it's only God's consent that matters. And if that theology and the way you interpret that is like, well, hey, you have to do this because God says that you have to, then her consent and truly what she desires does not matter at all. Right. It's a hall pass. To say you have to do this because God says so. Right. If that's the way you interpret 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and, through 5. And let's just time out there. That phrase right there. Yeah. You have to do this because God says so. Anytime you hear that from a pastor, from a family member, from a friend, that should be like warning signs upon warning signs to coerce and change people's behavior that's one thing to plead and say, God has given us this command, fellowship, congregation, body, brother, sister, I plead with you. Please choose to obey here. This is very, very good. Very, very important. Here's a thousand reasons why. But to coerce someone into your will and your desire and what you see is right and fit, because God says so and God says you must, I, I just like that is absolutely a form of spiritual abuse like and i just have never seen that mm-hmm. lead to anything other except for the advancement of that person's will and yep. what they think is right yes. so that's the first point here the belief that you need mutual consent to say no but you don't necessarily need mutual consent to say yes because by god you need to have sex with your husband god commands it right that is a problematic if like that it's problematic okay the second reason and how we got here and this is a big one and you saw it even from a comment that was left on my post that i read earlier this marital rape idea the ideas that perpetuate marital rape can also come from the reality of when you believe that your wife is the lawful sexual outlet for you and that God gave her to you specifically so that you do not sin. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So like the comment, that's the first one. It's like you made a covenant, a contract contract that your wife or your partner is obligated to be the outlet for your need. Yeah, quote unquote need. Right. And and it's almost seen as this like righteous act. I get to have sex with my wife so that I, I avoid sin. Uh-huh. And or the she gets, you know, for the wife's perspective, I get to help protect him from sin. Right. Which is the most savior complex. That is the definition of savior complex. Right. Mm-hmm. I I help them avoid sin. It's like the codependent twisted. Uh, you know, savior complex. Yes. All up in that. And it's very objectifying. It's objectifying women to saying, women, you are merely an outlet for your 
as when you become my wife, you are now an outlet for me to not sin. Right. And I get to use you so that I'm not tempted. Well, it's sad because here's, listen, you've heard us maybe a couple times. I get a little fired up about it. Okay? Talk about this. Yeah. But listen, here's the problem. It reduces both men and women. It, redu- it completely reduces God's image and his gift that you were created in. For men, that you were just reduced to an animal with sexual needs that you cannot control or experience victory in. And it completely reduces women that you are just an outlet for his sexual needs that he can't control his urge. It's very objectifying. And it's also like dehumanizing of the man to say, and that's a whole nother problematic issue that says men have more of a lust problem. Men cannot control their lust and therefore get married because once you're married, your woman will take problem, will take care of all of your lust problems and will, it will help you to never be tempted ever again because now you get to use her as your sexual outlet. Yeah. Like, I know that you wouldn't necessarily say that. Most of the people say, listening probably would not verbally say what I just said. But again, if that it, there is sometimes these subtle beliefs that, yeah, I get to, it will help me with my pornography and it, not going to pornography. It will help me to not cheat because I get to have sex with my wife. Yeah. And uh, Dave and Ashley Willis, the episode that we'll do and drop this season, uh, We hit on this very hard. It's a very, very, actually, you know, you'd shock you how popular this is. Yep. So. It's really tough. And this is the last one. This is one of those cruxes, right? This is probably. It comes down to this. I hope if you commented on my post and you commented this, you're listening to this part because um, this is really important. Uh, because we're really diving into what the scripture says here. Right, in the context. So this is the third reason for why we believe marital rape has been perpetuated in Christian marriages, Mm -hmm. and that is the idea that one's body is not their own, and in essence, that we do not have autonomy over our bodies. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 7, where it says, the wife does not have authority over her body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So at face value mm-hmm. and just purely, literally translating, you could totally see how this has been used. Right. 100%. But the point of the- It's been used to say, hey, I get to do whatever I want with my wife's body because it's not her own. And and vice versa. Technically, it would if you read it for <laughs> yeah. face value, you could say, but- we want to add, you have to look at context. You have to understand why Paul is really saying all this in the time that he is, what the whole point of this all is. And that's where I feel people are missing. They, they are, they're missing what really profound profoundly is happening here. Right. And if, um, if, if, if Paul just used the first half of this sentence, the wife does not have authority over her home body, but yields it to her husband and just stopped it right there. Guess what? You know, what's crazy about that statement is it would have been totally normal for the context of the time. Yeah. It would have Unfortunately, been. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, but that's Women how, didn't have control. Men had full control over them, could even hurt them, kill them, whatever. Like at the time, like men did have full control over cult- a woman. Culturally speaking, and, and it was that way for a long time. Yeah. Like wife was just a property. Mm-hmm. A wife was just property. Right. And so when he says the second sentence here in the same way, the husband does, that is a massive deal. This was like shock waves throughout the cultural time. It was absolutely revolutionary. Because he didn't just say the wife has does not have authority over her body and yields it to her husband, period. He continues in the same way. In the same way, the man also does not have claim over his body, but yields it to his wife in the same way. That means it is so good. Well, he's he's turning the tables. Yes, he is. He's saying, he's saying wife ha- women actually have authority. Yeah. This is 100% and 100% equals. Yes, you guys are equals. Which equals mutuality. Right. That's the point of where we're getting to. It equals mutuality. Right. 
which is saying also your sex life should actually be mutual. What he's actually fighting against is men taking control over women. He's saying, no, women have authority as well. Men over right, you. And this is supposed to be a mutual experience. It's an, it, it was insanely revolutionary because there was nobody, nobody in this world at that time. It, if sex and the Institute of Marriage was this. Man had 100% control and autonomy. Women had 0%. It wasn't sex in that time was not mutual, right? It was for uh, producing heirs and children, and it was for the man's pleasure. Yes. So when he wrote this letter, this is so like, <laughs> it's so funny to say this. Paul was like the ultimate feminist of his time. <laughs> he was like the most liberal feminist, just whack job for. Oh gosh, you're you know, gonna get some of our Republican but people seriously, angry by no, saying. As that. in, like, and by that stance, you know, it's kind of funny to say that, but that's really what he would have been viewed as to turn around saying, "No, no, no, the tables have turned. This, this no longer exists. Mm. It's a hundred percent." And a hundred percent women, you have that same authority and right over your husband's bodies. Yeah. That was radical. Radical. And the whole point, and some people were commenting, well, you don't have control. You don't have authority over your body. Here's the reality. What Paul is saying, and the whole point is sex is designed to be mutual. And he's empowering couples. Sex should be a mutual consenting experience for both parties. But it's so ironic because in all these conversations, it's still being put back as like the man has entitlement. And I'm like, it is exactly opposite of what Paul is saying here. It's amazing. And, and I'm it like, it's it's like it's showing that this perpetual um, cycle of men having authority and control and not being able to control themselves is still an idea even today that we are apt to believe and still go after. Even when back in the time, Paul is like, hey, no guys, this actually should be mutual and women do have enough authority here. You know what it makes me, it, it, it really makes me love the Bible and scripture so much more. Mm -hmm. It really, really does. It just, it like we lose all the context and the history of just how radical and powerful this was. It just right. completely transformed in the same way that Christ being a king, a king of kings and God and Christ himself totally flipped down man's contract of power and hierarchy with an upside down kingdom yeah. that a king would humble himself to the point of a servant and a slave to yeah. death itself. And that's what marriage is. Whatever our fleshly, manly, earthly contract of, of marriage might be, let's take that and let's completely flip it upside down. So good, baby. Okay, so now we're going to talk about, well, where is the consent line? Where's the line of consent? And I'm going to steal, not steal. I'm going to reference Sheila Gregor a little bit again because I, I love her research. It was, it's really good research. Um, there are, she details it as there are three categories of, of attitudes towards sex. This is brilliant in my opinion. Three categories of attitude towards sex. This helps us to identify the line of consent. First, unwilling, meaning I actively do not want to have sex. I want to under you to understand that this is a woman. It could be a guy too, but in the case of a lot of what we're talking about, it's a woman who does not actively want to have sex. They don't enjoy it. They fear it. It's uncomfortable. It's painful for them. They actively cannot because it may be a season they're in. They're unwilling and I will say again, back to before, sometimes they still do it, even though they are completely unwilling to have it because they feel obligated. Yeah. I would say if we have to talk about the consent line, this is the one that probably has to be the most clear in their will, their will. They are saying, I do not want to have sex. The core of their being is against having sex. The core, yes. And the consent line between this and the next one we'll talk about should be a concrete wall, a hundred feet wide, a hundred feet tall, 
it is concrete. It's like the idea of, you know, this crossing this line does not and exist. And guess what? More than likely, more than likely, this kind of a woman, this woman is not going to orgasm. She's not going to enjoy sex. She's just doing it so the man has a release. I was going to say, I would, I would, I was, I thought you were going to say, more importantly, she's never probably going to talk about it out loud. She might not even exactly, like, which is why it we want silent, to direct a lot of this also to men to like open up these conversations, right? Like, if you truly love your wife, right, your nightmare and what men have and a nightmare really been made aware of is like at the core of their wife's heart, they hated it. They loathed it. It was not something they wanted to do. Right. Like imagine you telling me that now. Right. It oh. would it would be it would wreck you. Because right? guess what? Be so like in full transparency for the audience, I had never explicitly asked Kate these questions. Mm-hmm. I I hadn't. Before we got married, the night we got married, I just kind of assumed in a lot of ways. And her body, her eyes, her soul, her words, you know, never indicated it. But if I look back, I'm like, man, I really wish I would have just taken at least one time, at least once to just create a really, again, a really, really safe sacred space well i do believe though you did because you asked me and made it no pressure on the wedding night right that we didn't really have to have sex if i was not comfortable yeah and so i would say like you really did set that up though for me in such a way where i could have the freedom to say no right but for this is where it is it you do have to dive deeper as a man one step further because Thankfully for me, I didn't necessarily believe all of these elements. I didn't believe all of the things we're talking about today. Yeah. So I didn't believe I was obligated to do it with you, even if I didn't really want to. I felt the freedom to say no, but there are going to be some women where the man might try to ask or create a safe space and the woman might still say, no, I want to. Yes. Yeah. But it's because of a deep script that she feels afraid that if she says no, there's going to be consequences, disappointment, disappointment that he'll look, yeah. he, he will go want to have another woman. And that's why I think more conversations need to be had. Yeah. And that's, and Listen, I I understand even just in admitting it to you guys, that's a really, really high bar for men. Mm-hmm. That is like the gold standard. But I, I do look back and wish I would have just at least one time been like, hey, is there any hidden, you know, kind of obligation here? Because yeah. I do not, it's not just this. Think about this. It's not just, I don't want a wife who's not going to enjoy it. I want a wife who enjoys it too. That's still a little bit about what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of for me too. Mm-hmm. It's not solely unconditionally focused on you. Yeah. Which is, hey, for you, period, nothing to do with me. Do you feel like you have any obligation? And as in like, you know, you have to. Yeah. Even if you don't want to. Right. That That's you, the conversation that needs to and be Because I love you and desire for you. To just be to have a beautiful experience. Right. Yes. And completely, you know. Yes. Yes. I totally hear you, baby. Yeah. That's beautiful. So that the unwilling, the line of consent is below that that thought of unwilling. And here's the second category, which everyone's been waiting for. The second category um, underneath the consent line is neutral. Okay. And this is where there is a lot of nuance in marriage. Neutral is uh, well, right now, I don't really feel like I necessarily want to have sex in this moment. Um, it's not ideal for me. I'm not really like in the headspace, but I may be open to it. Right. Because I genuinely, I don't feel an obligation. I genuinely want to connect with my husband this way. I know that this is going to be a great experience. I genuinely enjoy it. I genuinely receive pleasure from it. I genuinely want to do this with him as a connecting bonding thing. Truly, I want it. It's just, you know, JJ approaches me 12 o'clock. I'm on the computer doing my work. Mm, It's not necessarily my favorite moment. It's not exactly I want to in that moment, 
But I probably, if I'm being honest, I do want to have sex with him that day, genuinely. So if this is the time that he kind of wants it, and really for me, it would have been better later. Huh. Could I maybe get on board to fully be interested now? I weigh that out and I might say yes. And when I'm entering it into him, with him, I'm in, I'm into it. I'm like, yeah, I genuinely want to do this. That wasn't my perfect timing, but I'm going to sacrifice my perfect timing because I do genuinely want to have sex with him. She's never regretted it. Right. I've never regretted it or after been like, Oh God, that was so awful. It's just for him. Hope he enjoyed it. Coerce my will. Right. Um, Like, like that, uh, that idea, if women, you have this idea, any married women, well, uh, that sucked, but uh, at least he enjoyed it. Like that's where you have a problem. And that's where, listen, I think this neutral space is the word no can be said and it's totally up. There's a lot of responsibility and it's not, if I'm being honest, it's not too hard to decipher a soft no where it's like, Oh, this isn't really the best time. Yeah. It's a soft no or a fundamental, her will and core is like, no, I do not want to have sex with you. Yeah. Right. And me and JJ honestly have different libido schedules. Oh, for sure. I would say. Yeah, go ahead. Probably 90% of our sex is like not on the same schedule and libido right, preferred time where we are not like perfectly aligned on that day when we want to have it it's like pretty rare to both look at each other with that like hey <laughs> right now let's you know right yeah it, that's it, like 10 percent of the time that's rare and for us that's why also that guy's comment of being perfectly equally yoked with libido i'm like okay first was it of a all guy or girl? it was a guy oh, and okay. i was like even if you both have a healthy sex drive, you're, there's a very likely chance you're not going to want to do it at the same time. And like, I prefer having sex at night. JJ prefers sex anytime from wake up till right before dinner. And so we are not in the same alignment with the time that we feel the more, the most sexually active or open. And so there is a level of sacrifice that we make because it doesn't align perfectly. But that's where you have to figure out that line. Like when I'm, when JJ approaches me in the day and I'm like, okay, I'm not really, wasn't really in the headspace, but I do genuinely like want to have sex with him. I might open, I'm kind of neutral. I don't really feel like I, I need to do this right now or like I really want to. But I might be open to it. Yeah. And I it's, would, it's, it's a difference. I would say like that. It's like probably 50 to 70% of our sex starts with uh, a soft nose slash, mm, I don't really feel like it right now, but I'm open to it. Right. 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 And see how like we have to drill down and get this clear. We have to get clear. Right. Because when I say, and I will make it clear to JJ, I'm like, no. This is a firm no. Yeah. This is like a nope, 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 nope. I really don't want it right now. Well, for to many clarify, if it's a if if it is a firm no, that's a firm no. Yes. That's not something to be bargained with, coerced. It's like if you work in sales and you cold call someone and they're like, get lost, you're not calling them back, right? You're not saying, yeah. wait, 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 wait. It's not a discussion. There's no discussion. Right. Right. If they're saying, oh, well, we already got another software right now. Oh, we kind of like it. That's a soft no. Yeah. Right. And and this, it, again, it has to all be done with so much care. And this has to be played out into the relational dynamics. Because if you know your woman has been highly manipulated into sexual abuse in the past, there is a oh. level where she may, if you press her, to be like, oh, come on. Why not? Can we? Like, she, that you have to be super careful. That's why every couple really needs to work this out for Dude, themselves. I And listen, we didn't even talk about if there's any context of sexual abuse, sexual trauma on both sides. Yes. And if there is like a any kind of mm-hmm. recent history of like lust and pornography, you know, still very much like... This conversation we just had needs to be approached with 10 times more compassion, empathy, nuance, care. Like if there is sexual trauma and abuse, like, please, I just plead with you. Like, 
just tread with so much compassion. Yeah. So much empathy. So and much. and I would say this. If you're going to mistake on overestimating or underestimating how big and um, you know, obtrusive that trauma is, always err on overestimating. Yeah. You're absolutely. never going to go wrong erring with having too much empathy, too much compassion, that's right, too baby. much desire to that's understand. Right. So good. So that's the second line is the line of neutral. So unwilling, the consent line, neutral. And then of course, number three in the three categories of attitudes of sex is I am un- I am willing. Yeah. I want it. I want to have sex. So the main difference here is there is a big difference between not wanting to have sex, period, dot, end of sentence, and not particularly wanting to have sex right now. Um, there's a very, very big difference in that. Yeah. Very big difference. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's just talk a little bit more about um, being unwilling or how we fix this. What do you think, babe? Bailey, this has been a long episode, but I want to I want to make sure we end on a good note here. Okay, so could you clarify? Um, well, we went into being unwilling, aka not giving consent. You know, it if they aren't willing that outcome. If a woman is not willing and they don't, if they genuinely don't want to, I want you to know that eradicates consent entirely. If they do it anyway. Like, because they're not willing, but they feel like they have to, especially because of what they interpret scripture or what they've been taught that eradicates that there is even a place for consent. And why then that, again, that's very problematic. Well, when consent doesn't exist, it is, that's where marital rape exists. Exactly. Right. Because they, they don't even have the choice to say yes or no. Yes. Right. There is no no and there is no yes. Right. It is literally like slave submission. Right. Right. But it's, again, that subtle, hey, she may be doing it with you, but genuinely she doesn't want to at all. Right. She doesn't want it. She doesn't enjoy it. And she may even say to you, yeah, no, I want to, babe. Like, I want to. Why? Because she's programmed to say, I want to because I need to do this for my husband. And I think that's where it gets really, really, really hard. Yeah. Really, really hard. And why these If one or both like parties, you know, are doing it because... Um, like they've gotten to such a place where sex is only out of obligation mm-hmm. and they feel like they have to. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the question we have to ask and what we're going to keep doing is how do we fix this? Right. How do we get on the same page? And I just think the more we, I just keep going back to this point, the more we just completely clean slate, wipe away every teaching, yep. every example from culture, from your childhood pastor, your parents, even if they might've been right or closely right, you know, just give yourself that blank slate and start at the Bible. Start with that episode with Gary Thomas. Before I form any opinion, let me go in and see how God views sex. How does he depict it when he gave an entire book of the Bible? The Song of Songs. Right. How does he talk about it in the Psalms? Yeah. How does he talk about it in Genesis? Mm, Let me go in with absolute humility and just a blank slate about sex and form my opinion there. And then when I get to a place like 1 Corinthians 7, after completely understanding the context of who Paul was talking to, what he was talking about, I can completely say, this sex from looking at the Bible is a wonderful sexual desire, but it's not a need. Mm. And I'm not a Roman, same thing, Romans 6. I'm not a slave to it anymore. I was for sure, but I'm not a slave to my sexual need. Mm-hmm. I'm a slave to Christ. Yes. And when Christ came with grace upon grace, there is just nothing about his attitude that forces us into anything. Yeah. Right. The last thing I will say is for the men listening, if you're a woman, if you are, if you are married or you have, you know, or that's about to happen, um, if your woman is having sex with you and she consistently doesn't seem to be enjoying it, okay, and she's not orgasming, okay, there could be, this is where it's like so important. There actually could be these narratives that are under the surface because 
Sheila's work actually shows so many, so much research and studies that show that women that have this belief system of obligation have a much lower likelihood to actually orgasm during sex or find any pleasure in it whatsoever. And that is not our goal for you. Okay. Our goal is for the woman to be able to experience the erotic, beautiful pleasure that God designed for it to be and for it to be a mutual, erotic, beautiful experience. And if your woman is constantly not orgasming and just like it's very uncomfortable for her, chances are there's a lot that could be going on. Okay. It could be vaginismus. There could be a lot going on here, but I will say a huge likelihood that is possible is that she believes these narratives and it's not allowing her to get into a space where she actually can orgasm. Yeah, it definitely would sound like emotionally, spiritually, immensely, there is a complete misalignment with how God created sex to be for her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, listen, it's kind of funny, but like they have, women have a body part that is designed exclusively for pleasure. It's the so, clitoris. Yes. So it, it's just funny whenever I've ever heard, you know, <laughs> It's not supposed to be pleasurable for women or mutually pleasurable. I'm like, so why why did God literally create a body part where its sole function is for pleasure? <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, did God make a mistake? <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm like the creator of the universe literally designed. It has no other function <laughs> just for pleasure. For the female, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for Let's the female. Let's go. It's so funny. <laughs> okay, so. guys, we really hope this was helpful. We hope it was healing. We hope you hear our hearts. Yeah, we hope uh, you'll send this to people who need to have these conversations because, again, yeah, there are extremists out there and stuff, but what we're talking about is the middle, the middle where these things are subtly impacting the way we think, our expectations, how we're showing up. And that's the that gray middle area where, of course, you would never say you support marital rape, but you may actually somehow find yourself in these mentalities that do align with that. Yeah. It's where we need to have more conversation. It's just if you're going to make a mistake, this is not an area that you ever want a mistake for just not talking about it or being yeah. too cool or too casual or too, you know, oh, we don't have to. Like, if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake and over clarifying, over communicating, over making sure that this is really, really safe. Yeah. Right. Good job today, baby. You, you did a great job. And if you guys made it all the way to this far, congratulations. Wow. <laughs> we love you guys. Well, this was a heavy, heavy, heavy boy. So we love you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate Warman. It is a part of the Converge podcast network. Our incredible editor is the one and only Scott Caro. Our theme music was developed by the amazing Christian Ledoux. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've never written us a review or ranked us on iTunes, we'd encourage you to do so because it helps us so much to get this podcast into more people's ears. We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesday. So we'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.